This is the Beer and Pretzel Podcast. We are a podcast that specializes one-shot role-playing games are not the world's most popular role-playing game. Today, we are joined by two role-playing game creators. As we just played your guys' game, Murderous Ghosts, we invite you guys on, and thanks very much for coming on and talking to us. Absolutely. Our pleasure. We just finished uh, playing Murderous Ghosts, which we had a fun time with. And first of all, thanks for creating a game that is easy enough for two players to play, because we usually have a group of four or more uh, playing different role-playing games. But a couple of weeks ago when we played this, the rest of our group couldn't make it. And I was looking around, and there's not many great two-player role-playing games out there. So I was very happy to find yours and were able to play it. Uh, just one question off the bat, I guess, was... Is Murderous Ghost intended as a two-player game? I know that it definitely very easily can be, and that's how we played it. Or do you guys see it as more as a party game? Because on the cover itself, it says Murderous Ghost, a party game. But it's definitely, looking online, people recommended your game very much for the two-player aspect of it. So how do you guys see Murderous Ghost? Hi, it's Meg. I'll answer that <laughs> um, first. Um, we did design it. Originally, as a two-player game, yeah, um, that one player would have one book and one the other, and they play back and forth off each other. Um, and uh, I definitely want to get into that if that's how you played. That would be great. Um, and then I saw a game run at PAX East that made things click to me that this could be a bigger, different game that we could do this as a. Uh, audience participation, larger party game sort of thing. And so we sort of rearranged it a little bit to meet both of those needs. Barely. Barely <laughs> rearranged it. Like, everything's the same except it says choose by vote now. Yeah. But so it was originally a... a but then the idea of having one person play the ghosts and everybody else play the explorer came out of watching this other game at a convention where... Um, I mean, uh, it was our friend Jared Sorensen. Jared Sorensen did exactly that, and it was very cool. And Meg said, "I, bet. I can do that." Well, Jared Sorensen was running um, Action Castle, which is a, a great game where one person plays the computer, and the other person, other person or people, take turns um, inputting commands, and it's hilarious and wonderful. And at this particular PAX East. Um, Jared had laryngitis or something like that. He couldn't speak. So he was running it in a different way. And this made me, you know, watching the whole thing happen was like, hold on, we can do this differently. Um, and I went and told Vincent, like, this, we can play a game with 400 people. Let's do that. <laughs> and, and we have, we've played it at, at uh, a couple of the PAXs to a. Packed house. Packed house. Three to four hundred people in the in the great big. What's that room called? The one of the convention rooms. And auditorium. Also, yeah, and also played it with twelve people at a convention. You know, it's yeah. no, it's no guarantee that it's going to be. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. A giant thing. Yeah. So this is kind of a follow up question to that. Would you change anything, or do you think it would make it more of a challenge if you made it the extra players played the ghost rather than the adventurers? Yeah, for me, I think that the the ghost player has to have more of a a cohesive sense. Yeah, you you have to be thinking about the ghost as as you know in your own head as you're mm -hmm. saying what happens. And I think if you pass that around, or if you tried to collaborate live 
on what the ghost does, um, I, I think the ghost would lose some of its cohesion. It's already kind of mysterious. It's already barely cohesive. And I think if you put any more pressure on that, the ghosts wouldn't hang together at all. It becomes more comical. Mm. It, it becomes, yeah. It, I it, mean, that could it, be what happens. Yeah, but, yeah. It, it, but the structure of the game um, needs those two focal points, the ghost and the explorer. And so even in the larger, you know, even in a party game setting where you have, you know, five and up people, you have one person play the ghost and the rest have to have either some sort of vote or consensus that um, there's, that this is the direction that the adventurer is going to take so that it doesn't become sort of chaotic. One of my favorite uh, playthroughs of this was four people and one person was the ghost and the other people sort of naturally fell into id, ego, and super ego huh. of the character. It was really cool. Really enjoyed that. That does sound pretty cool. And that's kind of funny that you bring up Jared because our last uh, career that we talked to, we actually talked to Jared about inspectors and he was talking about partially an action castle in that he was telling us and we're like, wow, that's amazing that he was telling us how he played to a house of three or 400 people. So that's kind of a funny tie in. Uh, So step away from murderous goes for a second to go to you guys. Role-playing game creation is kind of fascinating to me because unlike other routes, like, say, get into filmmaking, with filmmaking and other things, there is a little bit more of a straighter path to get into uh, the industry. But for role-playing games, we've talked to a bunch of different people and everyone has gone into game creation in different ways and have gone to the point that they are from all different kinds of ways and paths. So I was wondering if you guys can kind of talk, especially since there's both of you guys, in how you guys got to this point that you guys are creating games for thousands of people to play. Like, what is your history? Not with just, not really playing the games, but making this more than just a hobby. Um, I started making games basically as soon as I started playing games. I was, oh, nine or ten or something, and my uncle had Zork on his Atari 800 computer back in 1980 or so. And um, when the computer wasn't available, I would pretend to be the computer uh, for my friends. Um, And that was how I got started playing. And as I encountered published games, the idea of published games, like I didn't own Dungeons & Dragons or anything, but as I encountered the idea of Dungeons & Dragons, I started inventing in my head and on paper what that game must be like. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was designing games long before I played a published game. The things that got me into seriously creating role-playing games were these these three technological advancements that we got around the year 2000, which were PayPal, so people could pay me, (laughs) PDFs, so we could share files, and print-on-demand through Lulu originally, so that it was within our reach our to capacity. create printed yeah. to create soft cover books yeah um or even pdfs like the advent of pdf was yeah. revolutionary yeah and for independent game designers and and other independent like independent writers and poets and you know a pdf wow you know to look at that in 19 from with the eyes of 1985 and think that you know in 1985 everything we do is not possible everything yeah. you're doing right now not really possible 
Um, so there are definitely places that we can point to, you know, where there are yeah. times and arrivals in technology and putting the tools in our hands that we can point to that make this possible. Yeah. Um, and so your question about like designing as opposed to playing, you know, we have one very specific answer like that. And then the other answer, like Vincent said of, um, where it came to us, you know, you were, you started as a seven, eight year old kid being, or however old you were. And I started similarly, you know, um, playing pretend with my sister and friends in the backyard. And I did start playing D&D when I was seven. And um, it just seemed like, you know, no one told, we, told us we couldn't do it. So we did it. What's fascinating to me now is that while, of course, Dungeons & Dragons is still the most popular role-playing game out there, there are so many really awesome indie role-playing game uh, publishers and just independent creators. So what, in your guys' mind, is like, you kind of talked a little bit about it already, that uh, PayPal, of course, PDFs, you can actually share your games worldwide instead of just hardcover, made it way easier. Yeah. But could you talk about, because I'm sure you interact all the time with fellow game creators, can you talk a little bit about the world then when you guys first started and was creating this indie RPG world versus now, which has grown a lot uh, since then? Yeah, that's a great question. What a good question. Thank you for that. I don't know, 2001, 2002. Um, I fell in with a bunch of similar malcontents who were making weird little games um, at a, a web forum called The Forge. So we immediately banded together to promote each other's games and to make uh, each other, like to, to play each other's games and promote each other's games and help each other finish uh, our games. We had a, um, you know, ongoing discussion threads about where you could print your games cheaply and, and um, ongoing discussions of, you know, hey, we, we finally played Paul's game, here's what happened, and Paul was like, oh my god, thank you, that's really useful, and then Paul's like, hey, I finally played your game, here's what happened, and we were like, oh my god, Paul, that's great, thank you, you know. At that point, among the 30 or 40 of us who were who were there at the Forge doing that, there was, it really seemed like, this, this is, this is indie RPG publishing pressing up against conventional RPG publishing in, in the year 2000, 2001, and so, it really felt like we were the the point of that wedge. You know, I came into it then having never published a game, going straight into PDF and print-on-demand. Mm -hmm. But my friends and colleagues had put conventional print runs of games on their credit cards, and they hadn't been able to move them, they hadn't been able to get them into distribution, they were falling to pieces in their basements. And, you know, there were, there were people who had gone seriously into debt trying to do conventional publishing uh, mm -hmm. of role-playing games. And, and so there was this real moment of, of this door opening that we were pushing up against and, and shouldering our way through, I think. I think of it a little bit like, um, like musicians, in a way. You know, you get together with fellow musicians and like play music and, and jam and hang out. And maybe some of you are in a band, which would be the corollary to people who had, you know, had published in a traditional method before. Um, and some of you have like never played with anybody else before, but you have a common interest. And so you, it, it creates this, um, this magnetic pull around that common interest. Um, same thing happens with like 
You know, that's why there keeps being community theater groups everywhere is because people get together and do this common thing they're interested in. Like in film or in writing novels or games or video games, horror, in this case for Murderous Ghosts, can sometimes be a very tricky thing to write. And I was kind of curious that when you guys were creating this game, what either strategies or mechanics did you have to employ probably early on to kind of not only make a fun game, but a game that wasn't like you were trying, you were saying earlier, not trying to make a comedical game, but a horror driven game. The uh, I was I was pissed off about something. The reason I I I did the initial design on Murderous Ghosts. Um, this is how it often is with us. One of us will do the initial design, and then we'll get together to finish it. Yeah, uh, because to develop like, and finish it. It depends. Like I work in a museum, and Vincent works from home, or worked in the hospital for years, and so the by that initial design, it can mean, oh, I thought of a game in the shower, or while I was driving home, or something like that, and sometimes we'll do significant design work but each we each other our we are our first audience of like hey i have this idea what do you think yeah yeah and so so i did the initial work on murderous ghosts and i was pissed off about something somebody said about somebody else's game and i said oh they want a trauma game i'll give them a trauma game (laughs) and so my my design impulse was to make it unpleasant to play and as we developed it, we softened that, but it's still so. In the back of the, were you the were you the ghost or the explorer? I was the ghost, and Travis was the explorer. Excellent. Okay. Okay. Good. So, as you know, and Travis may not know, in the back <laughs> of the book, the ghost book, there's a section on what is a ghost, and it says that a ghost is a creature of sorrow, and a murderous ghost is a creature of sorrow turned to violence, and. Um, this thing that I'm asking some person to do, asking you to do, to imagine something sad and then imagine it becoming violent, like that's an unpleasant thing to ask somebody to do. And I have a follow-up game called Can You Save Your Boyfriend from the Cannibals that I'll probably never design. Because I say, okay, imagine a domestic scene and turn it as violent as humans get and that's that's more than i'm comfortable asking somebody to do without without the proper support around it and murderous ghosts does a pretty good job of not like dumping that on you of like drawing that out of you and and getting you there rather than as the ghost player rather than saying okay sit down and be miserable for a little while you know it it makes it kind of fun (laughs) um but the other thing i wanted to say about it is that in that game one of our pieces of advice is to have the person who's more easily frightened play the ghosts. Yeah. And that idea, the person who's scared should be the one who's making the decisions, is through the design. Like the game says to on on page four, I think, mm-hmm. says, what do you hope the ghost doesn't do? And so as the adventurer player, as the explorer player, you think about those things and you choose which is the most horrible. And so it, it buys you into the horror all the time. Yep. Um, well, I mean, part of it, just to underline that piece where the person, the person with the, with the, like, if you imagine personal boundaries um, being like, if they're right close to your chest and then they go out and out and out. And if your personal boundaries are like, I need this much boundary space 
around what I'm dealing with further. Like the person with the boundaries that are furthest or strongest or like, I am not comfortable with this much stuff, you know, at arm's length. They're the person setting the boundary. And that comes out of like a baseline of our design work and our whole everything, which is about agency and consent and respect. Um, it, it, it would be unethical for me <laughs> to put a game out there which did not hold that space for someone. And so therefore you put the person who, in this particular place, the person who is more easily scared or more easily uh, just icked out by gore or whatever, you put them in charge because that gives them agency and consent and control and they will set their boundary where they're able. Yep. Um, and, and then inside the game, once you've made that choice, the person who's vulnerable, the explorer player, is the one who's, who's making those decisions about what is horrific and yep. what is frightening. And so both players have that support of yeah. where are your boundaries and making sure that you are in consent to this at every step. And then we, at the end, you know, we do a thing of here is how it resolves so that there is a pathway out of the game for both players. Yeah. You know, there is a there is closure to this situation. Uh, when you're when you played, did the explorer escape or or get murdered? Nope. Travis got murdered. It was close. Nice. He almost made it out, but nope, he didn't make it out. <laughs> I, I have I have to tell you, um, I designed the game on purpose so that it was hard to escape. Like it's not fifty fifty odds. It's uh, the if if you aren't really familiar with both how the deck of cards work and how the two book, booklets work together, yeah, you can escape maybe one time in three, maybe two times in five, like. Mm. It's the, there the on ghosts, the cover. The, the ghosts are going to murder you. You get the, murdered by goal. ghosts. Like Murder's we had ghosts. people call like and say afterward, like, I played your game and I got murdered. I'm like, yes. It's in the title. It's literally in the title. <laughs> Travis, you weren't that upset that you can died. Can you escape from right? the murderous ghosts? I don't, I don't know. know. You can, really? I don't know. <laughs> um, I was playing a game. Uh, I was running a game, and you know there was a vampire in the basement, like whatever. And I said uh, to the players, I said, "So do you want this to be a scary vampire, or do you want it to be like I want to talk you?" And oh, a goofy vampire. A goofy vampire, and um, they said, "I'll make it a scary vampire." Except one player who was like, "I don't know, a scary vampire. That's kind of scary." And so I said, "Okay, a scary vampire it is." And I had the door. I said, "The door just thunk," and everybody went. <gasps> And I'm like, what just happened here? It was cool. I heard about this game afterwards. It's like, this was like, cool. They decided it was a scary vampire. And so, and so it was. So it was. I didn't have to do any work after they decided it was a yeah, scary cool. vampire. And so Murder's Ghosts comes out of that where I say, what's the most frightening thing? What do you hope it doesn't do? Um, this you know, also... To get the, the players to, to buy into this is scary. Instead of resisting it. In a lot of horror role-playing games the the GM's job is to scare the players and the players don't want to be scared right. and so they there's this fight about um, about whether things are scary or not between the GM and the players and so I wanted to reverse that where the players the the players whole okay. engagement is based mm -hmm. on so they were excited about being afraid being, yeah exactly. and that they, they were excited about it because it was to their comfort and tolerance yeah. and like part of that that we did in like Part of that is like by then we had three kids and we'd had 
three times through having toddlers and all the work of like working with a young person for their agency and their buy-in and their consent and like where are you scared what is hard for you and i'm thinking about taking them to the playground literally of like of like watching little kids challenge themselves when they are slightly afraid and watching young people challenge themselves of like this is hard but if they are choosing to do it they can do more than they thought they could and you know then they feel great after you know i've never i've had people talk to me about some other games afterward of like oh i played you know some other game and like this thing came up and it was but i've i've never had anyone come to me about murderous ghosts and say this left me feeling uh, because it has this built-in piece to it travis i think you had a question i love it this was going to be a comment so when i built my character i've played a few role-playing horror games with you in particularly austin so I've known not to actually build a character I care about and I want to live through it. I expect them to die. But <laughs> yeah, the thing is, is always the challenge. And that's what I loved about this game was the challenge of trying to get them to survive. Not that I know anything about like the card decks or how this kind of system worked. But I was just like, I, I'm trying to get them to the end to survive, to make it out the door. They did get killed, unfortunately, but they were a throwaway character. So it wasn't so much a horseback aspect for me. It was kind of the adventure <laughs> of trying to make it through the door without being sure. killed off. Yeah. The the books between them have points that are more dangerous and points that are less dangerous. You have to make more dangerous decisions and more and less dangerous decisions um, in the way the books relate to each other. And the deck of cards and the way the hand works, there are safe draws and there are risky draws. And so if you if you know both you can time your safe draws to your risky decisions and your risky draws to your safe decisions. And that, that can, you can, you can win about half the time if you know the game really well. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, okay. So we got a nice little uh, behind the scenes information to how to cheat out the game if you want. A little cheat code kind of. But that's assuming we know anything about cards or their game system. If they follow it correctly, they should be able to. But yeah, but maybe. we're not that good. I, At least I'm not that good. I would never do that. I would die 90% of the time. I, I can't imagine anybody playing that game often enough to become an expert at it. But it's there. It's, it's there, there for anybody who, like, who wants to. Um, Our kids have made it a uh, Halloween tradition. Like, usually the youngest person, you know, the youngest of our kids who's ready to do gaming at the time We'll, we'll run the Halloween game and it will be Murderous Ghosts. Um, and our youngest has scared the older ones so bad they all had to come and tell us how cool it was. It was so much fun. They were like, there was this raccoon! It was so scary! <laughs> it was really, really good. This was like two years ago. Um, but the thing I want to say about adventuring is that one of the things with, a mur- with Murderous Ghosts is that the explorer is not a paranormal investigator. The explorer is just like exploring a old spooky place, you know. Mm. They're not there as a ghost hunter. They're not there as like, ooh, I'm gonna be spooked out. They're there as like checking out a place. And I think that that's an interesting way that we, I hope, and it seems to have worked for Travis at least, um, we set it up so that 
you have as a player some of that experience of like, okay, this is weirder than I thought, but also that you have a little bit of a detachment. You know, we don't ask you at the start to talk about your ghostly experiences and how excited you are about the paranormal and get into yeah. it. You know, you could be just like wandering around and you got lost and suddenly things are weird. Yeah. Yeah. And it is sometimes, especially I think for horror games, it works very well when you put the person in the exact mindset as the character. It's fun for like games like Inspectors to play a comedy based game where you play characters that are good at catching ghosts. But even that game, you're playing characters who are like very much discount Ghostbusters. What like just like what you said, right. yeah. I liked in this that you're playing an explorer, just someone who's checking out a cool place or fell into the wrong area. And then they experience all these paranormal uh, well, paranormal activities in the same way we kind of are. Mm -hmm. So what's weird for the character yeah. and yeah. new for them is kind of the same for the player too, which is what I really liked. Uh, Travis, do you have something? So this was Thanks. the question that kind of goes along with that is where did you come up with the system or how did you come up with the system for, I want to say kind of choose your own adventure, but it's not really that because it's different where you pick the point on mm -hmm in the story and then that gives you options of what's going to happen or how it happens there was there's a uh series of games yeah that's one that if you don't know them i would i would strongly recommend looking them up they're great games uh they started with a a, a world war one dog fighting game called ace of aces um I don't know the entire publication history, but Ace of Aces came out, and then it was followed by a game called, I think, Finding, Fighting Fantasy. Mm -hmm. And in those games, you have your book. Um, here, this is this is Ace of Aces. But it's not, your, a, it's your not your a video cast, can't see it, but so. still, find Ace of Aces. One of you plays the Germans, one of you plays the Allies, and it's two little books of dogfighting planes, and, and it so, has like pictures of, like, this is what it looks like. And then it's against what it looks like in the other book. It's right. So in so in my idea. book, I have pictures of Meg's plane in yeah. various positions, and I'm trying to get behind her plane essentially. And so you say to the other player, "Okay, I'm I'm doing maneuver maneuver X. So go to page 495, and Meg flips to page 495, and yeah. then." The, the ones that followed were fighting fantasy, and so I would have the orc, and you would have the elf. Or the, the one the one we played a lot was um, the Scott the the lightsaber dueling. Lightsaber dueling. Lightsaber dueling. After <laughs> Empire Strikes Back, yeah. uh, West End Games published a version called Lightsaber Dueling, where you're Luke Skywalker from Empire Strikes Back versus Darth Vader from Empire Strikes Back, and um, we played the we played heck a lot out of that, of that game. game. Um, my family got. 10 copies of it. I don't know why. I, don't, I have no idea what the circumstances were. But when I was a kid, um, that was that was one of our favorite games to play. And so those those games were, you know, I have my book that shows Darth Vader looking at me, and Meg has Darth Vader's book that shows Luke Skywalker looking at her. Yeah. And, you know, you, you say your maneuver, and it tells you what page to turn to. It's and you, really interesting. You try to strike each other. There's a, and so that's that's where the the idea for playing books for, against each other Right, for books playing from. against each other, yes. Um, and then also uh, Choose Your Own Adventure books, which you mentioned. Um, there's definitely some Choose Your Own Adventure oh, yeah. sure. in there of, like, how, how to build these trees, which relates to the mechanics of how do we build the mechanics loops and things like how do we make sure these reconnect in, and into yep. each other in ways that are meaningful. Um, 
and then a little bit for me there's a little bit of of developing mush code when I was in college that sneaks in there of like creating rooms and spaces and how do you do that you know huh. I, yeah isn't it weird so that when you get to that page there's something there even if it's the choose from a list or describe the ghost behaving as they usually do or that so that you're not just going through turn to page do this yeah. turn to page do that there's some bit of structure sure in that and this is going to be kind of a follow-up question to that but i don't know if you have or not but would you if you could or have you ever applied this to a different game that you have created or might create in the future? We have done some other games where everybody has their own book. What? Oh, I'm, I'm looking to my left because I'm trying to remember. Um, no, we've, we've done some games where everybody has their own book. Our game Firebrands and our game The King is Dead. Um, Sundered Lands a little bit. But they don't... You know, in those games, what we're doing fits on a spread. And so, you know, it, it says everybody turn to page seven and everybody turns to page seven and you do what the rules are there. Like I was saying about, can you save your boyfriend from the cannibals? I imagine it as a, a game like this one, but I, I've never, never made it. I'm trying to think. It seems like, it seems like we should have. I mean, we could. There's nothing stopping us. <laughs> we should. It'd be fun. Um, but, it, you know, to answer Travis' question, I think that and also to talk, you know, it ties back to questions before about like where we get our ideas and and have we ever quit game design? Like the, the iteration process of, you know, we did murderous ghosts, and what do we want to do to interpret that design work going forward? And it wound up in um, Firebrands and in The King Is Dead, and I am confident that it will show up again. And as we continue to you know, turn all the pieces around. So currently you just don't have a game that kind of fits the role of this, the system. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we haven't, we, in, in terms of like the same design spec to have a two player game that's booklets playing off each other and involves a deck of cards or other randomizer. Um, we don't have something that fits that, something else that fits that design spec yet. Mm. But, Having been asked the question is a great way to put it in our minds. <laughs> That's true. The only, only reason I ask it because it was a lot of fun doing it this way for, for the two-player like aspect. And again, I think we could have done more people because we, yeah. we normally have four. Yeah. Um, I think it would have been as much fun with yeah. four as it was with two. So I just I, that's why I ask if you plan or if you could any game you <laughs> have like actually use this system because it was a lot of fun. Yeah, are, are, it's a good system. Are you saying... Where a game where there are four different books that well, you're playing, well, the kind of the same system where it was the one book against each other because that's hard. <laughs> yeah, no, but the the two books, one versus the other, but you can have multiple people like either helping or kind of being a, a majority that is a vote. Big relief. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a very interesting question. And uh, speaking <laughs> of game systems, uh, sometimes we do a lot of research into today. Was that I couldn't believe how many awesome games have been spun off the Powered by the Apocalypse system. Uh, and with no, that, <laughs> it's kind of a two-part kind of question in that what led you to make the system open for others to create games in? And did you guys, because there's so many genres of role-playing games that spun off this uh, system, did you have, like, 
any, do you have any personalized favorites that like really use your system well or just ones you're mm. like oh that was a really cool idea that either we or other people should check out because of course the original apocalypse world is awesome and the game uh mechanics that you allowed our people to use is so great that just on your website alone you can see what like 50 or 60 other games that have borrowed the system it's incredible yeah 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 a lot. Um, so, uh, again, this was a game that I that I was the did the very first design on, um, and I started showing it around. You know, I, I said, "Okay, here, Meg, take a look at this." And shall I? And Meg this was like, "Yes, cool. run with that." Yeah, we're doing um, this. And yeah. so I started showing it around, and by the time, you know, half a dozen of my friends, John yeah. Well, yeah, specifically but, though. Yeah, uh, um, you know, by the time they had read it, they were already adapting it to their own, their own ideas. Yeah, and, and so part of that comes out of the design community that we were really in the vein of sharing our work. We're like, hey, what do you think? Yeah. With um, with John Harper, he was just like, oh, oh, we're doing this now. Cool, I'm in. Um, and so, so our choice then was either to say, yeah, go for it. Or to say, no, 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 don't, don't, stop creating, stop creating. And, you know, we're not going to do that. Like, how, how would we, why would we do that? There's there's no earthly reason why we would do that. And so that's why we opened it up, because, you know, yeah. we're going to stand there with our finger in the dam? I don't think so. The number of games that are built on it astounds me. And I feel incredibly glad for and proud of mm. the the ability that our work has given to other people to make to get their designs out you know it's like it's like when you know we were so excited to see pdfs come along right and not to say that pbta is you know as effect as as amazing as pdfs but for for some people it has been the tool that they needed to do the thing they wanted to do, and that's that's a pretty darn good feeling to have put that in the world. I don't know if I have any favorites. You asked you asked if we have favorites, we have favorites. and it's so hard. We got one today. Oh yeah, we had this one. Hand that one over. This one arrived in the mail uh, yesterday, yesterday. I guess today Sunday. Our traveling home by our friend Ash Kreider. Um Queer stories of found family. Yep. Uh, inspired by Howl's Moving Castle, especially. Oh. And this has a lot of the um, Firebrands uh, yeah, bits it's... in it of like, oh, now we play this little game and now we play this little game. So that's another place where, you know, it's in the there's a, this continuing thread through, and that's yep. pretty cool. Um, my friend Joshua made one of the weirdest PBTA games there is. It's called The Bloody Handed Name of Bronze. It's, um, you know, sort of ancient world sword and sorcery. And he stripped that system way back to get at exactly the thing he was trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you play either a sword or a sorcery. And if you're, if you're a hero, you have this relationship with, I don't know, a god or a mountain or your tribe or, like, I don't know what, your, your people. Like, I... I <laughs> that, that you have to live up to and also not overshadow. It's a, this really interesting um, tightrope you have to walk as a hero to not be 
to to be so good that everybody admires your god, but not so good that your god has to smack you down. Um, so, and if you're a sorcerer, you make you make bargains with everything in the world. You're like, okay, gate, I need to get through you. What do you want? What can I do for you? And the gate is like, I really like it when rich people go through me. So if <laughs> get three rich. rich people come through me, you can go through after them. You know. And you're like, oh, why am I going to find three rich people? But frankly, there's there's more. Like at this point, it's it's always great and exciting when like, oh, new new PBTA game because, like, there was a point where we could have all of the PBTA games. <laughs> That day is long and gone. now we That's can't even gone. do that. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> because, yeah, yeah, especially with the advent of like itch and you know the continuing wonders of of PDT, of a, a PDF is like you know, yeah, tons of them. Yeah, and just look at the list; it's incredible. Uh, like the sprawl is like a cyberpunk world. There's a game called The Warrens, which is where you play as rabbits. I love yeah, yes. you get to play as bunnies. I mean, That's terrifying. Amazing. It's terrifying. It's Watership Down, which is a horror game. <laughs> but, um, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things that's really interesting is the range, right? Um, that there's the two you mentioned, and then there's, like, every, like, e for every interest, because you mentioned genre and, like, the, the, the breadth of genre. Um, and uh, it that's... I, just a wonderful thing to see um it does make some people wonder sometimes you know like this pbta thing what is it like it's a toolbox mm. you know it's not it's not a yeah. system in the same way that yeah. other games are systems yeah because i was reading One that on favorite. your website was you guys had your letter to everyone about explaining what it is and it was a that's something that i might put Thank in the you. description in this podcast people can go check out because originally i kind of threw it up as just yeah. like a system or a mechanic but it's as it's very specific but like you were saying it's not that so people should definitely check that out because you guys wrote a very very nice a very awesome letter just talking about it and how people can use it in what it is um, so I'm going to include that in the description. Thank yeah, you. that's great. So, so my favorite thing about it is like the thing I love about every single PBTA game I see is the way that it breaks from from PBTA mm -hmm. conventions. Every single one of them does something New. amazing that I would never have thought of, that no other creator would ever have thought of, but that creator thought of it, and every single one of them breaks from the conventions and breaks from the the mold in some super interesting it's super so way and that's cool. my favorite thing about every single one of these games is 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 the way that it's different from all the others not what it has in common yeah. with all the others you get to see each designer's spark and what make they're like this is what i want to do and like yes that's what i want to see yep because john harper's blades in the dark which has led to its own system that people can use of forge in the dark that was it is based off this Right, and it and it's very yeah. much its own thing, but it yeah. was inspired by this at the very least. Yep. Yeah, and yeah. that's very cool. And yes, yeah. absolutely. Belonging outside belonging is another that um co that goes back to the Quiet Year and Ribbon Drive and um, Monster Hearts. It go back goes back to Avery Alder's work, and so it's neat to see that we have like this this connection and this web, and like we're gonna take it this way, and we're gonna take it this way. And, 
you know, that's just cool, you know, and seeing people develop toolboxes that other people can be like, oh, not, I don't, I don't want to do this. I want to do that. And like, good, go do your thing. Because we are a one-shot role-playing game podcast, we like games like this. Like, we had a fun time playing this. It was fairly easy to pick up as the game master or the master of ceremonies. And it was easy enough for Travis to pick up and play. And we played it, I think, under two hours, I believe. Do you guys have game recommendations? Because you guys have a lot of great games, of which I'm going to be posting a link to your game in our podcast description. But do you have one in (laughs) particular that you guys might think might lend itself to a one shot a really fun one shot experience that we should play oh yeah maybe not just the two of us but once we bring brad and becky back um as a fun game we should try on our podcast yeah yeah i would definitely recommend siren um i love siren for a uh what uh, do you want our games or other other people's games? Uh, more your games. But if you guys have recommendations that other oh, people yeah. made, that's totally fine too. But that. I definitely want to hear Thank what you great. guys have created because you guys have a lot of fun stuff on your website, but I've not been able to dive into them completely Any yet. And all recommendations. We appreciate. <laughs> um, awesome. Okay, so for our games, I would recommend Siren, um, in which you play people who have psych- psychic powers and amnesia. What could possibly go wrong? Um, and it's, uh, I really, really like it. <laughs> Can I, the, really the game is paced by questions. When you create your character, you list questions that you have, like, um, uh, Why is this dog following me? Who, Where the heck are my shoes? Why does the name, you know, Fenderson keep ringing through my head? You know, and you generate these in character creation, and then you answer them as the pacing yeah. mechanic. And so the game ends when somebody has answered all their questions. And so um, it, it's, uh, you know, this extremely compelling. Every game starts with a crash. You know, you've been in a an armored mm-hmm. truck, and it's crashed into and now you've escaped. And so the, the shadowy government agents are chasing you. Um, you're trying to get away. Uh, but so it's it's um, very tightly paced, yeah. and and you can definitely run it in yeah. one or two. Uh, I say one or two sessions, but it's we play we shot. play um, two hour sessions. So yeah. I'm talking about two to four hours. Yeah, um, you can easily play it in a one shot. Yeah, and and um, I when I pitch it, I say it's it's a little bit like playing out uh, an issue of an action comic. You know, a superheroes comic. It's that sort of thing. Um, all the Sunderland games um, are good one-shot games. Um, For a while, um, I have, you know, had a, a side obsession in games that you you build the session out of playing mini games, mm-hmm. um, and our games, uh, the Sunderland series and also firebrands and the king is dead mm-hmm. um the way those games work is you know you choose one of the games to play and then the next person chooses one of the games to play and then like mario party right you mm-hmm. you go around the table choosing games mm-hmm. and um all of those games work great in one shots people sometimes firebrands and and the king is dead especially don't work over prolonged play mm-hmm. people say hey uh, can we play this again and i'm like you can play it again if you want to but nobody ever does like one session is really 
is really I mean, what can, it's what it's designed for. You can play again for sure, but you're gonna it's gonna be a different scenario. You're gonna have different yeah. players. Um, a game that I really am extremely fond of that is a, a one shot game that probably works fine for two players is um, Does It Fit the Mission? And that's up on our Itch store. Um, Does It Fit the Mission is a game about um, curating a a, a intergalactic collection of everything there is and and the players are tasked with being the curators of um, Sol 3 and what what items of Sol 3 will you take into the intergalactic collection to represent the entirety of Sol 3, which is Earth. Um, and I love that game. I love it. You know, it's, you know, this little, this little game of what will you choose to represent the entirety of Earth. I guess my last question, unless Travis, you have any follow-up last questions for Megan Vincent, and maybe you can think about it when I say my last one, is, and this is something that I try, if I can remember, to ask every uh, role-playing game creator, is for all those out there who are trying to create their own games and put them up, uh, be it for free or paid or just a try to get into writing in general, for both you guys, what is one tip or trick you would uh, say to a creator out there who wants to get into writing role-playing games. You'll learn more in the the two weeks after you publish a game than you could in, in the five years leading up to it. Publish as soon as you can. Um, and, and I don't mean launch a Kickstarter as soon as you can. I don't mean go into print as soon as you can. Um, my old AP English teacher used to say that an unwritten thought is an incomplete thought. And I would add to that that an unpublished text is an incomplete text. You have to put your game in front in front of your audience, audience. Um, mm-hmm. and until you've done that, you don't know what your game is. Um, and I would add. To and so, that, so as soon as you can, find somebody to put it in their hands and and you know play it or at least read it or at least look at it um, as soon as you can. The longer you put that off, the longer you go without knowing what your game is. And I would add to that. And it may be a different slant, and so please, you know, say so if it is. No, go for it. I would add to that that, like, publishing your game and putting it in front of its audience might mean that you make a you design a game to that that you design a game to play with Travis and Becky and the other person you mentioned. Yeah, Brad. Um, that you, yeah, that that is the whole of the audience, and that is awesome. And if you design that game, bring it to the table and play it. You have you have done the thing, um, because like we mentioned earlier, like back in the early days when we knew people who had taken out a second mortgage on their home to finance a print run that they didn't, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That is not what publishing is. I we have watched people, and we've seen them at conventions still, um, who have this idea in their head of what publishing looks like. Of like you know eight and a half by eleven hardcover with full with um, full color everything and it has a booth that looks like this, and it is a trap for people specifically for people who are young designers or not even young just new designers. Um, <clears throat> publishing means you put your work in front of somebody, 
you know, and itch is great. You know, get take part in game jams. Oh my God, game jams are great. And think of game jams as a place for inspiration. And if you're like taking part, you know, it's like, ooh, this game jam looks really cool. And then you make something different because you're inspired. Awesome, do that. And if it takes you a month, even though the game jam was for a week and you missed the deadline, so what? Put it up on itch. You know, it's a wide open world. Um, and so like a thing that I say to new designers a lot, like as loud as I can is welcome, come on in. It's great. What can I do to help? And also there will be times when you are discouraged and you hate it and you're like, oh shit, nothing about this is good. That's fine. It doesn't, that's fine. Um, and another piece that working with, with new designers, specifically younger designers, you know, high school and college and just out of college, um, the sense of pressure to finish a thing, you know, to take that weight on, that creative weight. Like I have started the thing, ergo, I must finish it, that we get like just pounded into us by education systems and also by productivity models in workplaces can really crush a creative design spirit and an ability. So in doing your design, in, in learning to do all this, one of the things that is useful is to start a lot of designs and put them on the shelf, the, the, the sort of intellectual shelf. Like, oh, I thought about that for a while wrote 50 pages of it, nah, I'm not really interested in it anymore. Fine, stick it up here, cannibalize it for parts later. It's no big deal. It's like being uh, an artist and filling a notebook full of studies of a, a hand or you know, a musician who just, you know, you gotta practice a whole bunch of different things. You have to look at your game design work as a palette like that and that all the pieces that you do every piece is useful it doesn't mean that everything has to come to that put it in front of its audience please because sometimes we we have ideas we're like nope you know or we have notebooks full of ideas or notebooks full of like three sentences of a mechanic and we're like i i have no idea what that means fine stick it up there get it later so um those are my those are my two pieces. It's like, oh my God, do it! You can do it, and you you don't have to have it, you know, look like a you know fifty thousand dollar booth at Gen Con. It can look like here's a piece of paper, Travis. I made it for you. Huh. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, just getting stuff out there and just working on it, as long as it's something, even if it's very simple at first, of course, because everything has to start from somewhere. Uh, that's kind of first step. Uh, so first of all, thank you guys so much for coming on our podcast and talking with us. I was very glad we were able to talk, of course, about Murder's Ghost that we just played. But also, you guys gave us a lot of awesome information about what I think is the most fascinating part of role-playing game creation is the creation itself and kind of behind-the-scenes information. Uh, where can people find, including us, but for everyone else out there, where can people find your work? Where is the easiest place for people to go? The, the best place is lumply.games. 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 Yeah. 
And also our itch store. Which is lumpy. Itch slash lumply, I think, or whatever however itch does it. It's lumply. Yep. Um, and we also have a Patreon. Um, which is Patreon which is... slash lumply. <laughs> and um, those are all great places. I have a Discord forum that's specifically for Apocalypse World. I'm on Twitter at Night Sky Games. Vincent's on Twitter at um, Lovely Games. Games. Um, that's us. That's us. Okay. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming on our podcast. And what games are you guys, if you guys Thank can you. reveal anything in general, uh, what games are you working on for the future? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this. <laughs> Oh my gosh! We're, like we have a giant. <laughs> Where to we're, go? We're about to publish again. Um, we're about to publish our game uh, under Hollow Hills, which is about uh, a circus that travels through Fairyland and through the mortal human world. Um, and you play performers, the cast and crew, and roustabouts and stars of this traveling circus. Well, I'm and It is very cool, and it is it's overdue. So it's it's. A day late and a dollar short. And it's arriving exactly when it intends to. Yeah, no, I, I'm at that. Um, so we're finishing up the book design now. Um, we'll be releasing the PDF pretty soon, and the book in print after the printing process. After we release the PDF, yeah. um, it's one of the things like I've been saying for the whole pandemic. Like every project has taken three times longer um, since. January of 2020. So, yeah. yeah. Sense. Anyway, but under Hollow Hills, it should be out pretty soon. And the the playbooks and stuff are all up at lumply.games um, and you can check it out. Yeah. Awesome. I just released I just re released a little thing, little project that's Megay's Miscellany of Mending and it's on our itch store. That sounds pretty good, right, Travis? That's, that's a pretty great concept. I was sold in the you. first sentence. Yeah. A circus going through a fairy yeah. tale. That's pretty fun. Yeah. Um, if you're looking for, like, feeling, uh, Feelings First podcast has done a playthrough. Oh. Um, for, a, I, think, I think they had a, like, a five-player game. I don't know exactly. But um, they have a playthrough that's up on their podcast. And so if you're looking for how it plays, that's an example. That's and definitely yeah. check out the, the playbooks. They'll give you a really good sense yeah. of what's going on. Makes sense. And uh, for everyone listening out there, I'll be leaving links in our description of where to find some of these games. And thank you guys very much for coming on our podcast and chatting with us. This thank was you. so fun. Was thank great. you so much. Yeah, no problem. And for everyone out there, you guys can follow us at the Beer and Pretzel Podcast. We're on most podcasts and platforms. And we are also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the Beer and Pretzel Podcast. Thanks for Vincent and Meg for coming on our show. And we'll see you guys next time on the Beer and Pretzel Podcast.